Some years ago, it was my mother-in-law's 60th birthday, around that time. So Beth and I went up to the small town in Kentucky where she grew up, and we took my mother with us. And so this was a coverage for what we wanted to accomplish because we wanted to throw a surprise party. It wasn't really me. It was Beth and her sisters. But they were wanting to throw a surprise party for Peggy. So because mom was with us, we told Peggy, we're going to take a tour of the town. You know, go ahead and put your makeup on and get ready for the day because you don't know who we could run into. And we toured the small town And we decided to stop in the family church, which is literally the family church because Beth's grandpa built it and then they gave it to a church plant. And so we have the keys, which means on holidays we get to go get the special crunchy ice and use the dumpsters. I don't know if that's healthy for the church, but it's kind of cool to to own a church, actually. So we go to the family church and we're taking a tour and go to the fellowship hall and Peggy opens the door and this is what happened. Look at that face, huh? I mean, she was surprised, and what a great picture. So you've been part of something like that before. Um, You know, surprise parties don't work if you're not punctual, by the way. That's just a piece of advice, you know. So just remember that in the future. Uh, But since I was driving her, I I was punctual, as you see. You saw my young, good-looking face back there with a bad haircut. Um, You've been in these situations when you've run into someone around town, And they're not where you expect them to be. So you say, you know, what are you doing here? Maybe that happened at church today. What are you doing here? Uh, We we are surprised when people are misplaced or maybe they're at the right place, but we just don't expect to see them. And so in this scripture today that you heard and we'll look at again was like the ultimate surprise. Jesus just showed up. And so here's my first point today is we're just kind of evaluating how love has won, love has won part two, and how the resurrection of Jesus, what it means to us. Here's the first one, Jesus surprises. Jesus surprises. Isn't it true that Jesus isn't always as clear as we want him to be? In fact, if you read the Gospels, he he talks in metaphor, he talks in stories, Uh, he talks in things that when they first heard the stories from Jesus, often they didn't realize what he was saying until time gave them perspective. I believe the same will be true for us. There are some things that Jesus said that we can figure out through the resurrection and through the expectation of his return, but there's a lot of things we're just not sure yet. And, and so we won't know everything about Jesus until we're face-to-face with him. And, and you have to kind of be comfortable with some ambiguity. I mean, there has to be mystery in every relationship, and God is sovereign, and God, he, he can sometimes be a little hard to understand. Um, sometimes Jesus seems vague. I'm being honest with you. We're like, did he mean this, or did he mean that? What did he say? Was he trying to get the Pharisees' attention when he gave this really harsh command, but then to people outside of the religious faith, he was loving and almost generous beyond our comfort. Um, Jesus can be a little tricky. Uh, Jesus can be sneaky. But here's what I know from my life, and I bet a lot of you know this too. Jesus kind of knows when to show up. He, He just knows when to assert himself. 
Just about the time that the disciples, many of them, thought the story of the resurrection was unbelievable. And a lot of times we go through some of those emotions ourselves. Maybe there's been times in your life, I know there has been times in, in mine when I think, okay, is this all really for real? Have I given the last three decades to the church for why? Am I doing my daily devotionals for why am I doing this again? Am I, am I choosing moral restraint out of obedience to Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago? Why am I doing this? And, and we, we sometimes can wrestle with those types of um, ambiguities in our life. And then the presence of Jesus just shows up and surprises us. And, and it's his sovereign will. He reveals himself to us um, very, very selectively by his sovereign will. I, I know we could say that his presence is always there, and I know that it is. I know that he's always available, but we've all had those moments where we just sense him a little stronger than we did yesterday. And I hope maybe today's that moment for you. You know, I mean, we, we prepare these services, guys, because so much is on the line in your life. And I want you to know, we never take for granted you coming to church because, because, because your, your time is valuable and you are valuable and God has something to say. Just about the time we believe the story is unbelievable, just when the story seems irrelevant, just when we're moving on, Jesus shows up. Look at verse 36 again. And as they were saying these things, he himself stood among them and said, peace be to you. So Jesus kind of like appeared. That's pretty cool, guys. For those of you interested in time travel and conquering the constraints of gravity and physics, maybe in our resurrected body we'll be able to appear places. I don't know what good that would do and why that would serve God's will and purpose, but maybe it will. And Jesus, so are we going to be ghosts? Well, Jesus said no, because Jesus was just like a guy. Jesus said, where's the food, right? <laughs> but because he's God, he was uh, observing the Mediterranean diet. He said, I wanted fish, right? <laughs> he was perfect, right? <laughs> no red meat, give me the fish. Here's the point I'm trying to make to you today. Often, Jesus doesn't show up when we expect him to. Jesus doesn't show up how we expect him to. And sometimes when we've given up on seeing Jesus, that's when he shows up. I want you to experience hope this morning that whatever situation you're in, it's the perfect environment for Jesus to show up in your life. Because a lot of times we think it's when we have it all together and we're, we've been particularly disciplined and we've, um, we're on a devotional streak. Isn't that great? You know, like, like we, we're on that one-year Bible plan, man, and we're just, we're right on. It's April. We're right on. And, and we're thinking, okay, well, now I'm worthy of Jesus' favor and love. But, man, when we're struggling and depressed and have anxiety and are, have actually willfully made bad decisions and we're suffering the consequences of those those are the times we want to run from Jesus but those are the times that Jesus says I'm going to surprise you and I'm going to show up in the middle of your doubt in the middle of the the lack of perseverance in the middle of your hiding Jesus is going to show up in unexpected places that's why 
Jesus will show up in prolonged unemployment. Jesus will show up when there's been an unexpected illness. And I want to speak to that for a moment because a lot of times we don't have room in our head for the theology of suffering, especially for those of us who have never suffered. But when you've had a sickness or illness or disease come upon you which you have not invited and you don't want and you can't get rid of, what you don't need is a lecture from Christians saying, well, you, you didn't say the right thing, think the right thing, believe the right thing, read the right thing. What you need is the loving compassion of Jesus that says, I am there with you, not with my words, but with my presence. Yes, God is in the middle of your illness. I believe in healing and I will pray for healing. I prayed with three people this morning who needed healing and, and we commanded sickness to leave because that's the type of God we serve. But when God in his sovereign will allows sickness to prolong, his, his presence is in the middle of that and every single one of us will be healed because of the resurrection. We are going to be raised up to new life and our mortal bodies will not carry disease or sickness or weakness or illness. And so there is healing for every single one of us. And what happens is the kingdom of God that Jesus has already ushered in and declared, it will come to pass in our physical bodies, every single one of us. And then here on this earth, it breaks in when we ask and when God decides it's time. All I'm trying to say through all of that is love people who are sick. I love them all the way. And if you know, to, if you know a shut-in, if you know someone who's not mobile anymore, and if they're not able to get around, it is your spiritual responsibility to look after them, to call them. And if you have a relative who is ill and can't, and can't move around and cannot choose where to go, it is your spiritual biblical responsibility to look after their welfare to some degree or the other. I know that every situation is unique and statements like that don't blanket cover everything. But my point is this, is you can give yourself to a church like this and you can tithe and you can volunteer and you can be here every time the doors are open. I would love for you to do all those things. I'm not, I'm not degrading those things. But if you overlook a relative who needs your attention, you've missed the heart of the gospel. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees were so preoccupied with religious observance that they came up with excuses not to take care of their own relatives. But we have a tradition going back to the Jewish tradition that we take care of our relatives first. That's a unique priority. And here's what happens is the presence of God is for caretakers. If you're a caretaker, you are doing a noble work, a Jesus-like work. You want to talk about changing the world? Show up for someone who's in need. Show up for someone who's sick. Change a bedpan. Change sheets. Provide food. That is the work of Jesus. And if we had more people who did the work of Jesus, maybe we'd be, we would be making an impact on the world. So I encourage you in that. And I have all of these stories flooding my mind, even as I look across this room, of those of you who are doing that. So... That little tirade comes from inspiration from you because you are a remarkable people who do care for the sick. Every single one of us 
is dealing with a rejection in a relationship. Every single one of us. And it's from one degree or the other. It may be as simple as you're a salesman or saleswoman and, you know, it takes like 10 rejections to get one opportunity, whatever that ratio is today, in whatever field that is. And so you're just dealing with rejection in business all the time. You just deal with rejection, deal with rejection. And then there's those bigger issues of life that you know what they are. Those are, those are rejection. But every single one of us are dealing with rejection. And we even deal with the rejection, even if we have a great marriage, which, which I do. I know this, is that, is that I cannot fulfill all of Beth's needs. And she's going to experience some rejection from me because I'm a human being. And because I can't be God to her, I can only be a husband to her. So it is with our parents. So it is with our children. Guys, your children cannot fulfill your inner need for love. And it's wrong if you put that pressure on them. Man, I'm saying all kinds of stuff I didn't say the first service. So, hey, guys, I don't know. I hope it's the Lord. It feels like the Lord. We can't put pressure on our kids for them to be the fulfillment of our love. And because that, what happens is when we put that pressure on them, we actually push them away. Our love is from him above. That, that's it. That's, that, that fulfills the longing in our hearts. And then it gives us overflow to give to parents, spouses, children, to friends, to coworkers, to comrades. So here's my point is, the presence of God is surprisingly in places we don't look for. Not on the places of strength and success. It's in the place of weakness and discouragement. You know what it's called? It's called brokenness. In our brokenness, we have enough brokenness to let his love and kindness and glory seep into our lives. So I'm telling you this today to encourage you that whatever condition you are spiritually or even emotionally or even financially or even relationally, you are not to wait for God to break in at a more preferable time. The presence of the Lord is for you in your brokenness, in your disappointment, in your hurt, in your abandonment, in your discouragement, in your financial pressure. God is coming to you now. He's not waiting for you to get cleaned up to come to him. He is after you. He is seeking you. He is after your heart because he loves you. So when you least suspect it, Jesus will appear out of nowhere. Maybe it's on April 15th at the 1045 service. You, you came here for out of habit or out of a favor to somebody or you came here you don't even know why you're here. And the Lord's saying, no, you're here for me. You're here for, I love you. I love you. I love you. I, I, I want to know you. I want to be there for you. It's sneaky Jesus, isn't it? Jesus is doing a work all over this planet. And he's doing a work all over the world. And he deserves the credit and glory for it. But we keep make, making the same mistake is we keep attributing to mankind the glory and honor that Jesus deserves. Have you heard him speak? Have you heard her lead? Have you heard about that church? They got it going on. Have you heard about this network of churches? Or have you heard about this group of worship leaders? Or have you heard about this great theologian in Europe who is giving a new slant on the Bible? Have you, have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? And we keep worshiping and worshiping uh, 
we don't know we're worshiping, but we're adulating, we're, we're lifting up mankind, and we're setting ourselves up for disappointment over and over and over again. Now, I can see the trend of this in the 42 years I've been alive, and in the 32 years I've been thinking about stuff like this. Yeah, I was a nerdy 10-year-old, I was. Um, but it goes all the way back to the beginning of Scripture. And part of our lectionary scripture today is Acts chapter 3, starting with verse 12. There was this, the, the people were, were giving glory and worship to Peter and, and his companions for the power of God. And said, when Peter saw this, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? Now, there's a great temptation today if there was a healing of the, the lame, the lame begin to walk again, it would be like, get out the cameras. Let's market this baby. Get on the social media. Let's let everybody know healings happen here. Uh, it, it, let, let, let's incorporate. Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you have handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses to this by faith in his name. His name has made this man strong whom you see and know. So the faith that comes through him has given him this perfect health in front of all of you. I love how Peter keeps pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus, pointing people to Jesus. Let us let the scripture get our eyes back on Jesus. We, not, we do not worship or lift up any man, any woman, any church, any movement, any denomination, all of those will fall, but the name of the Lord will stand forever and ever and ever. Even though religious institutions fall, even if a nation falls, even if a system of thought falls, the name of Jesus will never fall because it is the name that is above every name, and it is the power above every power. Oh, you're going to clap? Come on, all right. It's never good when you preach and you say, come on, you know. But <laughs> if you want to clap, I won't hold you back. So let me talk about, about something that happens in leadership. Whenever you're in leadership, there comes a point where people will question your plan. It just is, is going to happen. If you, if you want to bring change to an organization, bring change to a group, there's going to come a point where people question your plan. And there is good things about we shouldn't trust our leaders blindly. You know, we should, we should ask appropriate questions at appropriate times. But this sense of questioning has, has spilled over into our relationship with God. So often we're questioning God. We're questioning his ways. So here's my second point today is we question We question God. Now, I want to tell you a, a time in my life when my leadership was questioned here at this church. And the reason I want to tell you this is because I think it's a funny story. <laughs> so I hope you do too. So I, came, I started being the pastor here in 2008. And immediately I felt like I wanted to go to two services. I'm a big believer in two services. Like I never have a vision for us to be in one service. And there's reasons why two services are good. 
two services are a good thing. But nobody else, besides our associate pastor, David, nobody else wanted to go to two services. Everybody's like, no, we just merged the churches. We're one family. Let's just, we don't want to do two services. I went through all of 2008, most all of 2009, and we ended up making that change in February of 2010. So at the staff retreat in 2009, we, we had an eclectic staff, but we had a, a lot of young moms. And one of the young moms, particularly influential on the church because it was my wife. And these young moms, they just were thinking about stuff dads and guys don't think about, like the kids' sleep schedule and how we're going to feed them breakfast. And it's such a long time for them to be at church. And just all this stuff. And so the momentum was against me. It had been against me for two years. So this is how I implemented change. First of all, I treated the group to a really great lunch. And we were going to introduce change at the afternoon session. And then I introduced to them by video. We set up the big video, something that was new and innovative. And we had discovered, we were on the cutting edge of this. Remember, it's 2009 now. None of these had seen the flash mob yet. And if you remember, I'm not going to show you the video because that would just be, I don't know, it just would be lame if I did that. But do you remember... Oprah led the flash mob in Grant Park with like 2,000 people. Does anyone remember this? I should have showed you the video. Okay. <laughs> no, I shouldn't have. I'm glad I didn't. So, so they show this flash mob. And so we show this video. You know, the people are doing like this, 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 this. Right? They're doing like 2,000 people together. That was good, right? They're doing this flash mob. And then everybody's just happy. You know, the, the whole staff is laughing and they're having a good time. Kind of like they're doing right now. They're thinking, this is great. The flash mob, we've had a great launch. The flash mob is great. This is hilarious. It's the funniest thing I've ever seen. And then I said, oh, guys, let's talk about two services. And they said, yeah, it's time to go to two services. I think it is. So, so there's a lot of leadership, question, uh, leadership principles in there, but I just want to tell you the story. The point is this, is that we question, 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 and those questions have merit and they have value, and God isn't scared of our questions. And when we question, he moves, his presence is in those questions also. But the resurrected Jesus, I want you to hear his heart to the people that he appeared to and surprised. In verse 37, but they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled, he asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? And I want you to hear the heart of the resurrected Jesus to you today. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your heart? This is a very relational question. It's a question about presence. The presence of Jesus is there. The presence of Jesus is there within our questions, within our doubts. The presence of Jesus is there, and his heart is saying, listen, why can't you trust me? Why are you troubled? Don't stay troubled. Don't stay in the place of doubt. And he says here in verse 39, look at my hands and my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see because a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you can see that I have. And verse 40, having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. I guess I know that we're, we don't have the advantage of physically touching Jesus. We will someday, because a physical Jesus will appear again. But we are blessed 
The scripture tells us because of the faith we do have in Jesus. And I will say this, is that in every part of our life, as we're living our life, we're saying, Jesus, where's your presence? Let me touch, let me touch you. Let me see what your hands feel like in my child's education. Let me, let me see what it's like to fellowship and share a meal with you in my professional life. Jesus, where is your presence with my relationship with my in-laws? Jesus, where is your presence in this time when I'm single and I'm trying to discern whether you've called me to marriage or you've called me to be single and what all that means to be a single adult in this age? Jesus, where your his presence shows up in those surprising places. And And he's saying, his heart is saying to us in the scripture, why are you troubled and why are you doubt? I'm here. I am here. I have deep, deep compassion for those of you who may be struggling with infertility. And I'm telling you, this is something that, as you read the Old Testament, that people have struggled with for millennia now. But I want you to know that God cares for that. And his presence is there with you. His presence is with you in that very complex, complex um, place of life. His presence is with you in every single place. Here's the last thing I want to share with you as we get ready in just a few minutes to have water baptism. The Spirit reveals. The Spirit reveals. As all Christians do, we believe in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the three are one. So we see here in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the Scripture. And Jesus opened their minds, and now the Spirit who resides with us opens our minds to understand the Scripture. He also said to them, this, was, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. He's saying, guys, I told you all along, why be troubled? Why doubt? And repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. I'm so glad that the gospel didn't just stay in Jerusalem, but it spread through the Mediterranean world. It spread through Europe and Last week, a week ago today, I was in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and I read a plaque about the Mayflower Compact where at least those settlers and believers, you can read it yourself in historical documents, said, we're here for the glory of God and the spread of Christianity. This is not a political statement. This is a spiritual reality that the Spirit brought the message of the gospel across Europe into the United, what we call, well, England, over to the New World, and now here in the woods of Tennessee. Guys, we're sitting in this awesome building experiencing his presence together. That's an answer to that scripture we just read. The gospel's gone all around the world, and now we're sending it all around the world. That's why you'll get to meet Jason and Brittany Curtis next Sunday afternoon at 345. That's why we care about the condition of high school students and junior high students. That's why we care about the condition of the students at Vol State. That's why we want to see God touch the social needs of our community, that God help those who, who are in distress, help those who need health care, help those who need an opportunity in education, help those who need to pay their bills. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus showing real and tangible love to people in need. And guess what? We get to do it, guys. We are invited. Beth, I want you to join me up here. Here's the last scripture I want to share with you today. Let's stand together in an attitude of prayer. Actually, there's two more scriptures as we get ready to take communion together. 
These scriptures are given to you as a gift today. Look at how great 1 John 3, 1 says, look at how great a love the Father has given us. Look at this great love the Father has given us. Thank you that the Father's love is set upon you today. The Father's love is set upon you today. Psalms 4, 7. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and new wine abound. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their new and grain, their new grain and wine abound. That was the commodity of the day, the economic commodity. And this is what the Lord's saying. The Father's love is greater than a lot of money. The Father's love is greater than a lot of earthly success. The, God, the Father's love is greater than you meeting your quota. The Father's love is greater than your expansion. The Father's love is greater than your child hitting a home run. Oh, man. Oh, can we believe that? The Father's love is greater than your child being first chair. The Father's love is greater than your child being a billionaire because they're so good at music. Uh, and, and listen, it's greater. Boy, I'm stepping on toes now, right? I don't know whose toes, but I just know this is that our heart gets attached to the grain and the new wine, but God, your love is greater.